0: It's the Skinny Podcast,
1: only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. With my man Rick Brewing, we look at topics locally, nationally, and get off track on a topic or two at the end. We'll see how that goes this week. Uh, As always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet. Rick, our first topic is...
0: The Reds crossed the midway point of the season on Sunday. Tuesday night's 5-4 extra innings win brought their overall record to 39 and 44 on the season. So let's take a look at some superlatives. 83 games into the season, I like we'll it.
1: Start with who do you think is the Reds MVP? I'm going off the board for a thousand, Jack. I'm going to go with Jose Iglesias. Interesting. I mean, I think he's given you great defense. He gave you a bat that you desperately needed at a time when nobody else, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but very few guys were hitting. Um, and he I don't want to say he carries you because I don't think he's capable of doing that. But I thought he was awful good the first, you know, he started to tail off here of late. He's my MVP.
0: I think he's been very good. I think he'll be an answer to another question, though, in my opinion. It, for me... You said it, no one has really carried this team, at least not position players, so it's got to be Luis Castillo, in my opinion. Every time he's taken the ball, he's put this team in a position to win. It seems like
1: even the offense... Other than those two starts, he had the two starts where he got some run support, the one in Milwaukee was disappointing, but yeah, I mean you're not going to have 35 good starts. Right,
0: that's been very few and far between, and I think even the offense, you mentioned he got some run support in some of those games, I think the offense has more confidence when he's on the mound, and the team kind of backs him up a little bit more, so... To me, he feels like the guy that sort of powers this team right now. When he has the ball, they can play with anyone, so I'd go with him. Uh, next, who do you think is the Reds' biggest surprise?
1: I'll go with Amir Garrett, but it doesn't really surprise me a ton. I mean, the fact that what he's done has been as dominant as he's been. I said last year I thought he had closer stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me, battling a cold. Um, I'll go with him just because he's just been so darn dominant.
0: Yeah, I mean— it- I think that makes sense, but like you said, he was trending in the right direction last year. We kind of expected him to take a step forward. We didn't know it was going to be this big of a step. I'll go Derek Dietrich. I mean, I know he has really tailed off in the month of June. He was pretty bad, but that start to the season that he had, no one saw coming when they got this guy off the scrap heap. Yeah,
1: slugging 600, 900 OPS. I would have now. I mean, I didn't even well, know he'd make the team. Yeah, right? I mean, what he did on opening day would have been the highlight in in theory, right? Hitting that That's what we hitting thought. The home run. Okay, great. Well, what a great addition Derek Dietrich is, and if he can do that every once in a while, so be it. You're right. I mean, he had 18 homers in, in the first first half, um, and has tailed off, but he's been really good
0: yeah okay let's move on to the biggest
1: disappointment for the reds to this point boy there's a lot of them man oh man i will go i'll go with glacius Glacius, um just because um i think he's better than his number show he's just he's been disappointing to me
0: yeah to me i think it, it, it has to be joey Votto. um Rizelle Iglesias has been disappointing, but he's also had moments where he's been pretty good and, and he's been good enough that this team would have kept going the direction we expected them to had everyone else had, had up, held up their end of the bargain. When I look at where this team has faltered, their offense just hasn't been nearly as good as we expected coming into the season. And I think a big reason for that is Joey Votto has been pretty much an absolute zero through the entire first half of the season. It seems like he's starting to get. I know, going Ju- a Judy little was little really good. Bit. Yeah, he's starting to get going a little bit. I don't know if I'd say really good yet, but. 900 OPS in June. Yeah, but the power still no, you're ha- right. hasn't come back. I mean, for this team to be really good, it needed a middle of a lineup hitter like Joey Votto, and he just hasn't even been close to the guy we. We've known for throughout his entire career, so I think it's got to be Votto. Mm,
1: I I think though his career, and we talked about this in the preseason. I think his career has evolved to where he's not a power guy anymore. He is he's a top of the lineup guy. He's still a get on base guy, and I thought he I think he did that for the most part. Recently, in June, yeah, yeah. I mean June he was really good. Go look at his, his, his slash line in June. It was yeah. really, really. Well, we good. We had a
0: few months of baseball before that. And if Correct. we're talking about the entire first half, he's he's been pretty bad, quite especially when you're talking about a guy that is the franchise player of this organization. No doubt. They expected more I'll, out I'll of
1: I'll give it. you that part. I mean, for the money he's making, there, there should be more productivity attached to it. I'll give you that.
0: Yeah. All right. So far, David Bell has been blank as a
1: manager. Right. He's been blank as a manager. No. <laughs> um, adequate. I think he's been adequate. Um, I think he's... Look, the, the team ERA is what it is. And, and Jed Demusey, who I, I do the Sports Authority with on Sunday nights, keeps making the point, because he likes David Bell a lot, that um you know you got to give him credit for where the team ERA is that that he's kind of massaged the bullpen but i also think he's overmanaged the bullpen at times i think he's overthought things at times I, I i think he's done some good things with the lineup i think he's tried to think outside the box i think he's tried to look at analytics i think now i will say this now that you've got Jeanette back and Philip Irvin swinging the bat the way he's swinging it, he can really almost go a full platoon lineup. You can put almost all lefties out there against right hand starters, and you can put almost all right-handers, other than maybe one or bat. Um, and I think he, I think that'll be interesting in the second half to see how he massages the lineup. But I think I think he's been adequate. I don't think he's been as bad as I think a lot of fans want to want to point the finger at. I also don't think he's done great things either. This record, that seems record, would be better.
0: I would say David Bell has been a refreshing change as a manager. I think he's been mm-hmm. different. He's from been different. What the Reds have had in the past. One, he's more progressive in terms of looking at analytics, and he's actually done that. He didn't just say it in his interview and then right. you get into being this typical manager that's super conservative that does things the way everyone's done. Man- manager coach years, not and years. to lose. Right. He has done it the way he said he was going to do it, and he hasn't. He hasn't. You know. um, Coward when fans and, and outside influences have put some pressure on and said what's he doing he's over managing We don't like that. He's doing this. We don't like that Even when rise Iglesias said I don't like the way i'm being used He didn't change that up at all. He's kept he stayed consistent with his message but also I think the other side of that is in post-games. Um, and I imagine he talks to his team this way, too. But in the interviews he gives... And he talks
1: like this. He they a pretty good game, and I think I'm okay with it. That's good stuff.
0: But he gives thoughtful answers. He does. He's just, quiet, but he's very relaxed. He's calm. He doesn't engage in pettiness with his players. He doesn't get into a war of words with Ryzel Iglesias. No, I think he's just been... He seems more mature than a lot of the guys the Reds have had in that position. Um, it seemed like other guys cracked a little bit when... <laughs> Things got tough, and um, I think that's gone for the last two or three managers probably before him. He seems a little bit different in that regard. I like the way he handles himself. Right.
1: I, I'll i be interested to see if if some of those left-handed bats, if Scooter Jeanette doesn't hit lefties, if Winker continues to not hit lefties, if Joey Vidal tails off against lefties. I want to see if he does stick to the fact of listen, I'm going to put... Philip Irvin out there, even though we think Jesse Winker long-term is going to be a great hitter. Maybe you start looking some of the numbers, and Jesse Winker just doesn't hit left-handers, and now he's got to make that tough decision. Maybe Votto stops hitting left-handers, and he has to say, you know what, my best option is Kyle Farmer at first base. I... I- I do think he's got options in the second half that I'm interested to watch. And and I think a lot of managers wouldn't think in those terms.
0: In terms of results, though, I would agree with you. I mean, the jury is definitely still out. I He's been adequate to this point in terms of what he's done. I don't think this team is uh, overachieving or anything at this point. I think they're uh, kind of about where you would expect. Um, and I think they look to be trending in the right direction. But he has a lot to prove still in terms of the results.
1: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And that's a results-driven business, brother.
0: Skinny, the player you're most interested to watch in the second half of the season is who?
1: Man, that's a good one. Um, Alex Wood, because I haven't seen him yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think mean, that's a great answer.
1: Because if you get Alex Wood, it does give you the opportunity between DeSclefani and Tyler Malley to put one of the two in the bullpen or even send them down as insurance. And it just makes you better. I mean, I could argue a, an Alex Wood of 2017 is their best pitcher, and that includes Luis Castillo. Most people expected him to be the ace coming into Correct. the year after they. No, we, we talked of, of if, if Luis Castillo could elevate himself to that level, it really slots everybody perfectly. Wood your two, right? Sunny Grazer three, Roe Archer four, East Clofani or Malley's your five. And
0: I think it's played out that way with I think the way has. Castillo
1: is pitched. Yeah, I think it has no, no question. But Alex Wood gives you it gives you a definitive secondary ace type pitcher. Um, and it just it it just it makes you stronger. I mean, you got a chance if you can get good. Gracious, if you could get fourteen starts out of him, fifteen starts out of him, I, I really like your chances. I I think you got a chance to turn some things around. Because Scafani while there's there's times you look and you go, man, he's just superb. There's also a lot of times where he just loses it overnight. He loses it in an inning. And Alex Wood's just a consistently better pitcher over his career. I'm I'm, I'm really interested to see Alex Wood because I just think he makes this team. You know, we talked about this last week. You had an all-star in your lineup in Jeanette, an an all-star caliber player who was an all-star last year. You had a guy who was an all-star in 2017 in Alex Wood. Those are two pretty good additions for the second half without having to make a trade.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, you said it last week. There's not many, if any, teams that will have the ability to add a... a a significant hitter and a significant pitcher into their lineup. Without making
1: a deal, without yeah, giving up anybody. For
0: without it. losing anything. So I think you've probably got the best answer there with Alex Wood. Did you have somebody else my, in mind? My answer, though, would be Nick Senzel. Personally. Yeah, I, I, I was actually thinking of him, too. It just seems like he's. Close. It seems like he's really close to putting it all together. He does a lot of things I love to watch. He's smart. He's fast on the base paths. It, it's funny. I, I used to he, I used to
1: hear this growing up of, of you'd see a guy hitting two seventy or and you go boy he's hitting a hard two seventy and I was like what does hard mean yeah but since you look at his numbers they don't jump off the page they're they're they're, they're good yeah but it feels like he, he either gets a clutch hit or um, he's got enough pop to, to be standing at second he runs the bases really well. Um, and I, you're right I think he's just scratched the surface I think he's just he's just getting there
0: when good things happen for this team it seems like he's, he's off in the middle all. of it right exactly. he, he just seems to make plays whether that's on offense or defense whether it's running the bases and the other thing I love about him is the professional at bats that he gives you yeah. I know it's such a cliche well, that's why
1: I go back to it it feels like it's a. I think he's hitting 265 something around that That just average wise and I, I look at more than that I know you do too right but it feels like it's a hard 265 it's not a he's giving you good at bats. yes oh yeah he doesn't always. look over
0: match he doesn't look fooled and he doesn't look like he's stubborn in his approach and I think that's a lot of times when we see young hitters come up those are the big holes that they have and he doesn't seem to have those so I'm really excited to see like can this guy start figuring things out and take it to another level I, the I, think he, the I, I
1: absolutely think he will I'm with you
0: all right skinny let's stay on the t- subject of baseball pitcher Luis Castillo as we've talked about was the only Reds player selected to participate in the 2019 all-star game which will be played in Cleveland on July 9th and seventeen starts. Castillo is seven and three with a two fifty seven ERA and one hundred and fifteen strikeouts and ninety eight and a third innings pitched. He also sits at number five on Baseball Reference's WAR leaderboard for pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. What is the best Cincinnati Reds moment in an All Star game, in your opinion? A little off topic. It was. Today. I was just say I thought you
1: were going to go to the Reds deserve another All Star. Um, two of them: Todd Frazier in the home run derby. Now, why that wasn't the All Star game? It was kind of the All Star game festivities. I, I covered that All Star game, and it was there when he when he did it. Man, that was really electric. It really wasn't. I'm not a big home run derby guy. I kind of scoff at it. If it's on, I'll watch it. Maybe it's just being in the ballpark, a hometown guy doing it. That was pretty electric. I, I'll go back, though, to Pete running over Ray Fossey. I mean, I was a little kid when that happened, and I, I still couldn't figure out why a guy was doing that in an all-star game. Um, but, I mean, that, that's that's as iconic an all-star moment as there's ever been, maybe in, in all of baseball. That or Reggie Jackson in a home run in, in Detroit where he hit it over the on the roof. Um, those two for me. I'll, I'll go Frazier in the in the home run derby, even though it's not the All-Star game. If you're just going All-Star game, it has to be, for me, it has to be Pete Rose running over Ray Fossey.
0: Yeah, see, this totally backfired on me, because I assumed you would absolutely be Pete Rose running over Ray Fossey, or maybe something even before that that I didn't even remember. And of Tony, course you bring Tony up-
1: Perez did hit a home run in the 15th inning of an All-Star game to win in 1967.
0: Yeah, see, there you go. See, I thought <laughs> so maybe you'd pull up something you, random yeah.
1: like that. I, I was, can't go back to Ernie Lombardi in the 1936 All Star Game. I won't do that for you. Yeah, I, I thought, already know what he did.
0: I thought I was going outside the box, saying <laughs> Frazier here because it wasn't actually during the game. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I do think the when it's in your city, yes, the excitement level for it just goes through the roof. Other years it's just kind of like whatever. Well, and he
1: beat the clock too. That was the other thing. I mean, it, it kind of came down to the, yeah, last, the last yeah, beaver. the last moment. It it, it was really. I'm just not sure I've ever heard a roar like that for for a moment. Adam Dunn hitting that home run against the Indians when they came from eight nothing down and he won it with a with a walk off grand slam that was pretty loud. But that was a Friday night crowd. This this was a complete packed ballpark that felt like it was all behind Todd Frazier. And when he did it, it just the electricity was unbelievable to be a part of.
0: We can answer the kind of boring question too. I think the only other guy that was in, possibly yeah. deserving is Samir uh, Garrett.
1: Right? He, he is, and I've heard people make the case of well the reason he didn't make it is is because he didn't have a bunch of saves. Now, there's two full reasons he didn't make it. A, the Reds are a last place team that that really had one very deserving guy. That was Luis Castillo. B, um, every team has to have a representative, and so you can look and go, well, why did that relief pitcher make it or that guy? Oh, it's because he had a bunch of saves. No, every team needs a guy. Right. And, he and was so you, their one representative. Correct. And you just you ran out of you ran out of room on the roster. I, I think Amir, Amir Garrett. If you were to to pull managers. I guarantee you every manager in the game would love to have Amir Garrett on their staff, and he would be maybe be in a different role. Maybe he'd be the closer for a lot of teams. But I don't think it came down to the fact that he didn't have saves. I just think it came down to the fact that it's a last place club. One definitive representative was there, and the fact that everybody has to have a rep. Everybody's gotta have a guy. And Amir
0: Garrett is an upstart guy ascending into a more prominent role and potentially even a closer down the line. But like before you're that guy you don't get all star threads as a reliever. Correct. Like, I mean, if you are known, maybe if you're a closer, certainly you're going to be in the conversation. But as a, a young guy who's just kind of starting a last his name' club, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt yeah. type
1: of situation. Yeah. No, I, I thought now, they, I thought they got it right. There
0: might be enough guys that end up dropping out that he could sneak in or maybe. something. That wouldn't I wouldn't rule that yeah, out entirely, but not surprising that he didn't get the vote. All right, Skinny, let's move on to the World Cup. The U.S. women's national team beat England 2-1 in an exciting match on Tuesday to advance to the Women's World Cup final on Sunday, where they'll play the winner of the Netherlands and Sweden. The U.S.'s win over England had plenty of dramas. England had an equalizing goal erased in the 67th minute, and then U.S. goalkeeper Alyssa Nair saved a penalty kick with six minutes left in regulation to secure the win. I have two questions about this. All right. Are you surprised by the amount of attention paid to the U.S. women's national team and the World Cup? And I say that only from the aspect of the men do not get this type of attention. We do not, but get the men don't have this kind of the run. Win.
1: The men haven't had this kind of the, the kind of run that, that they've had over the years.
0: Well, and that's what I was going to ask. Is it simply the fact of the matter that the women win? Yes. Is Maybe. that
1: it? No question. Um, I don't think it hurt either that that right off the bat you had the controversy of the thirteen nothing game that it got they got the casual got a fan buzzier. to go. What's this all about? Maybe I'll check them out. And then you start to watch them and it is our country's t- national team. And you say, oh, you know, I'm going to ride this boat. I'm going to watch them. I, I'm I'm not a soccer fan, um, but I, I like the World Cup. I'll even watch the World Cup, the, the men's World Cup if the U.S. drops out. But the fact that the U.S. women's team is doing what they're doing, it makes me It makes me want to watch. I, I mean, I, I'm in a golf league. I, we were watching the end of it before we teed off yesterday. A bunch of guys just sitting around watching women's the end of a women's soccer match for goodness sakes. And, and actually kind of Nobody was cheering openly but you could tell we were wanting them to win it's our country's soccer team so i think you got a little bit of that controversy i mean people could say that oh it set things back and what a bunch of all that
0: nonsense but it, it,
1: it raised awareness yeah. right or wrong i don't think they did it intentionally to raise awareness but it did raise awareness and now that the fact that they're winning you know they beat france now they're in the semis they beat england now you're now you're playing for the world cup title i think part of it we like winners right we're a country that likes winners
0: for sure. I think also the social media age does play a factor in this. The fact that you've got such a universal thing that people are watching, and then you have, like you said, the thirteen zero. so there's takes now. There's takes Correct. out there on Twitter, there's memes coming out, all that type of stuff. I, that all feeds into it, I think. I think in this day and age, anything that can go viral, so to speak, on social media platforms will get great ratings Correct. and they've found a way to do that early on and granted i mean they're going to get great ratings it's always been a big deal they've had tons of success and look, over the it, last 3 decades yeah and
1: this is not going to translate suddenly into women's soccer having a boom in this boom in this country because no, we don't care the rest of the we year we don't care we don't care if the philadelphia whatever their names are are playing the new york whatever their names are in women in the professional women's soccer league we just we don't care we care about this it's like it's kind of like, it's kinda like in, in hockey, when the U.S. hockey team is doing good things, right? We kind of rally around that because it is kind of a team sport. Uh, but I don't. But that's nothing close to this. I mean, there's nothing mm.
0: like... You couldn't go into any bar in Northern Kentucky I'll during the that. hockey and it's going to be having a watch party and it's going to be no, full. No, that's fair. Yesterday on a Tuesday at 3 p.m., every bar was full You're in, right. locally. And, we had and to go to two pro- different and, bars to get into And it.
1: they were promoting watch parties. Right. So, I mean, this,
0: is, this isn't just like kind of, sort of. It's more than like a Bengals on a Sunday. It's more than... Other sort of when it comes around Olympic type stuff, even the men's, it's yep. much different from that. And I do think it's a lot about the women winning and yeah, the men I mean, never the, having that run. I would tell
1: you, if the men had a run where they made it to the semifinals, it would be, you, you, right. you, you'd pack them, stack them worse than you would for this. I mean, you, you think really, so? Yeah, I do. I really do. It, I think it would take a couple. Because it's so runs, rare. Though. Sometimes the so
0: rarity of it, too, helps. Yeah, but I think also the men would need to make a few runs to get back
1: to that point. because what oh, the other. Th- I think the first time you make that run. See,
0: I think the other thing the women have now is they have characters that we know. Correct. You have women that have been on that team. Yeah. Pino, Carly Lloyd. Yeah. I mean, they've been around forever. Alex Morgan is obviously a household name that people have been talking about for years and years and years. So I think that plays into it, too. The fact that we know all these girls still, for the most part. Yeah, that's fair. Second question yes. on the World Cup. What do you think of the soccer replay system, in particular,ly the ability for refs to review fouls? Because that came up twice right. in in the the women's World Cup run already, and especially in yesterday's game, where um, you had the the equalizer taken away for offsides and just you know it's just you're a, a foot or two a tick um and they're able to go back and really line that up in in replay and see hey they were offside you can take that goal you, away you know
1: me with replay man i'm just not a big fan of it I, I i i get it to some degree but it's still it's 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 human beings officiating human beings let the human beings decide it i, I i'm just a big i'm not a big replay guy in, in sports just period. You don't want it at all. No, I, I don't like it in football. I don't like it. In, I just don't like it. Do you think it's better at all in soccer than it is in other sports? Well, I will. I will say this. I mean, there's been so much controversy about people flopping in soccer. Right? That 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 that's got to go away. Maybe it helps that if you could if you could take that. I mean, I know offsides. Offsides is such a. It's such a goof. I mean, you can you can trap people into offsides. I, I, I wish there'd be a different in fact. Honestly, I think soccer would be better if you just took that damn rule out. For, I, to be I honest, agree with with I think it'd be more more free flowing. It would be a lot better because um, you can trap people. There's no line of offsides. There's a there's there's you can't get beyond the defensive player at a certain point. So I I, I don't. I just don't like replay. I don't.
0: The one thing I think is great about soccer says, well, two things about it, actually. One, the fact that the people up in the booth are just telling them immediately, and they use common sense. If it's a normal foul that doesn't mean much in the 10th minute of the game out in the middle of the pitch... They just tell them from the booth, hey, it's 10 seconds, it wasn't a foul, move on, and they just keep it moving, it doesn't take forever. If it's the 75th minute and it was in the box and it's going to decide the game, she'll listen to what they have to say in the booth, and then if she doesn't like it or needs a closer look, then she'll go to the replay monitor and do that. I like that. I also like the fact that they can review fouls. Because in soccer, just like in football when there's a pass interference at the goal line, a penalty in the box decides the game. A foul in the box will decide the game. The fact that they can go back and say, you know what, that actually wasn't a foul. She flopped or vice versa. I think that is um, an advantage to the soccer replay. What system. I can
1: see is, is if you start to f- start to do that, the only advantage I can see is honestly, if somebody does flop, you just red card them. And that's it. If we catch you flopping, we'll red card you and you're down a player. Maybe they will stop flopping.
0: They're not going to stop flopping. And and honestly, I think some of that's hypocritical because, I mean, we have Draymond Green in the NBA and that doesn't bother me in the NBA. I mean, it does bother me, but it's not like it's preventing me from watching the NBA. There's tons of flopping going on in our other sports as well and faking and everything else. So. I'm kind of over that at this point, but I do. You
1: know, th- I, I don't even know the rule in the NBA. I know in high school, if you flop, if you flop on a block charge, if you literally flop, you're teed up for it. Yeah, you and how many times have you seen it. that called? None, I, exactly but, but, zero. But, but you're supposed. To, I don't know if that that even permeates all the way up the NBA. If you flop, if it's teed, do you know that? Yeah, I don't think it does. Okay. But I mean,
0: even so, it doesn't matter if they don't call it, right? I mean, fair enough. All right, it's getting, switching gears now to college basketball. We thought Cincinnati's basketball roster might be finalized when Jaron Cumberland announced he's returning to school, and his cousin Javen Cumberland announced he was transferring from Oakland. But the Bearcats coaching staff stayed active and ended up adding another major piece last week when top 50 guard Zach Harvey committed to the Bearcats to make room for Harvey, Laquille Hardnett transferred out of the program to Buffalo. Harvey does come in with some baggage after pleading no contest to two misdemeanor charges in 2018 related to a March 2017 incident involving a sexually explicit Snapchat image or video of a 15-year-old girl. What do you make of the Bearcats' landing commitment from four-star recruit Zach Harvey?
1: Yeah, I know I know UC got railed a little bit for this. I, I, I don't. I mean... Um, I thought they did a good job getting out in front of it very quickly. As soon as the the email crossed my computer that they signed Zach Harvey, within 15 minutes came the email of Mike Bone, the athletic director, statement about that they would vetted him, um, that that they had talked to him, that he owned up to it, and it could be lip service, but I do think they did a good job of getting out in front of saying, "Listen, this is going to come up. There's no reason to hide behind it. We're gonna we're gonna stump for this kid." Now, you're obviously on thin ice if you're Zach Harvey, and I think he should know that. I think they've never, them being public with it would tell you that he's on thin ice. And I'm not one that always says kids are kids and kids make mistakes. Sometimes that's a little more than a mistake, but at the same time, it, it, it is something he did as a teenager. Um I, I think it, it is something that he's able to put behind him, and hopefully the, the the girl did too, and maybe she did. I don't know. I just think in today's day and age, it's, it, you can get a second chance. I'm not a fourth chance, fifth chance, seventh chance person. I think you get a second chance. I think this is a second chance. The one thing is you can't screw up. It's like the Bengals hiring of Jim Turner. Here's your next chance. You can't screw this up. We stump for you. You can't screw it up.
0: Yeah, I I think there are very few things you can do at the age of 16, 17, 18 even that are unforgivable to the point that you don't get a second chance at life. Um now, I don't think everyone That's better
1: said actually. That's that's better said the way you just said it.
0: I don't think there um I don't think everyone has the details on exactly what happened because all the details of this case are locked away Correct. because these are minors that we're talking about. So, everyone looks at what's on the surface and just says, oh, it was a sexting thing and she was too young and that's it. Yeah, we don't know that. We don't know all that. And from what I understand, I think it was a little bit more than that. So um, I would put it like this. If you're UC, you're not getting a top 50 recruit or in this case, like top 60, I guess, when they ended up ranking it back in 2019. A guy like Zach Harvey, you're not getting him very often unless he's coming at a discount. Unless like Lance Stevenson. Lance Stevenson had issues. That's why you were able to get him. Zach Harvey had issues. Not many teams were willing to take him. He uh was gonna be in the he was going to prep school to be in the 2020 class. Then he was at back. prolific prep. Well, all of a sudden he wasn't at prolific prep anymore. And I think there were some issues there that he didn't fit in there. So at that point. He needed somewhere to land, and he was calling around looking for places. I know there are a lot of other schools that didn't feel they could take this risk on him, and UC did. That being said, if we're talking purely – I don't want to moralize about it because we we simply don't know. But if we're talking about whether this was a good decision for UC from a basketball perspective – It's a great decision for a basketball. It's going to work out because unless you think he's a terrible person who is going to make bad decisions going forward – most people are going to look at it and say, well, look, he matured. He moved past. Just like Joe Mixon. Right? Joe Mixon did one of the most terrible things he could anyone could possibly do, and it, we have evidence and, of it. And the
1: Bengals rolled the dice, and so far, knock on wood for them, so good.
0: But what's happened since then? We've read nothing about Joe Mixon's matured since he got to the Bengals. He's been a great guy since he's been here. Look at the camp he's doing for the kids, right? That'll be the same situation. People don't want to write mean things about you, especially when it's in sports and especially when it's a city like Cincinnati where – it, it's not exactly a bunch of hardcore journalists looking to sink their teeth into the sports yeah. the sports teams around town. So UC's the publer they're gonna get for this is going to be fine. I think it's all gonna work out. And assuming he's not a bad guy who is going to tank your locker room, you got a heck of a basketball player well, added to the mix on a team that needed some depth.
1: Yeah, right or wrong. I mean John Brandon had a relationship with him through the AAU stuff for quite a while. So it's not like all of a sudden Zach Harvey called and he'd look around going, Wait, I remember that name vaguely. No, he he knew who he was, obviously, he clearly knew who he was, had a relationship. And I think that's where. Look, you know you're going to take some heat for it, but if you feel like, look, it was a isolated incident, not going to do it again. I'll stump for the kid. I'll, I'll I'll say, yep, you know what? I'll go out on a limb for the kid. And you do go out on a limb here because if it backfires, you look like a jackass.
0: Yeah, and you did have to run a kid out of the program essentially. Yes, and, and granted, it's a kid that probably wasn't ever going to play at UC. Yeah, and I, don't I don't think Will very good. Yeah. I think he's probably a MAC level player. So. I don't have any issue with any of this. I know some people will, and and fans of other teams, certainly Correct. Xavier fans will Correct. be criticizing them for this. Um, but I think it's a move that ultimately will pay off, and then each individual has to decide how they feel about it morally, whether... You feel okay about that, but I'm not one to really decide that, I don't think. I think everyone has to do it on their
1: own. Yeah, and from a basketball perspective, what John Brandon's done in a short time to to make that roster viable is is incredible. It really and truly is. Yeah, and I think exactly. I mean the Jaron Cumberland thing is out of his control. You you kinda wanna say you lucked back into that, but you kinda of did, right? His decision you had no impact on his decision. His decision was, was the, the.
0: The only thing I will say is I think a lot of times guys feel like they can't come back when there's a new coach, right? right? Like I yeah. don't even want to play yeah, for that that's guy. Fair. He at least felt like it was a decent enough situation to come back to.
1: Yeah, but I mean that roster right now, it's a pretty good roster.
0: It is. And I think he, the Zach Harvey thing is important, not so much for this year where they were going to be fine just because they have Jaron. Like they were going to be good enough with Jaron. I don't know that Zach Harvey as a freshman, even though he is talented, is enough to take them to the next level and like, oh, they're a Sweet 16 or Lead 8 team now um, because they have him and they weren't before. They may be that already because right. they had Jaron, but I don't think he's the difference. That being said, in 2020, 21, like, that roster could have gotten bleak really quickly. Correct, correct. And now, all of a sudden, you've got a top. And they still
1: have some rules because they, they took on some grad transfers. You're going to lose Cumberland to graduation. You're going to lose a couple others. But by getting Davenport, by getting him, you've at least kind of set a foundation to build around as you move forward, too.
0: Right. And it's nice to have, like, a Davenport or something. But you're still talking about guys outside, like, the top 150. Right.
1: You will land a top 70 guy. All of a sudden, you've
0: kind of got that next foundational piece to build around. Uh, I think it's a pretty big deal, quite honestly, assuming everything works. Out. Yeah, I agree. Skinny, former Xavier guard Edmund Sumner agreed to a three-year NBA contract with the Indiana Pacers on Monday. Sumner averaged 22.1 points, 2.8 rebounds, and 4.1 assists in 26 games with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants last year in the G League, and then drew rave reviews for his defense from Pacers coach Nate McMillan after he was called up late in the season following Victor Oladipo's season-ending injury. What type of future does Edmund Sumner have in the NBA?
1: You saw him more than I did, so I'll throw that question back on you. What type of future do you think he has?
0: I think he he is... really accepted a role in the NBA. And that's the biggest key for him because at his height at 6'6", um, even though he's really skinny and his athleticism, he's a versatile piece for no NBA doubt. teams. Because Especially he, defensively. He came out as a point guard. He was a point guard in college yep. and he could still play that position. I don't think they feel he's best at that but he could still play that position if they need him to. So essentially, he can play one through three, slot into any of those spots, and really where they like him is on the defensive end, which wasn't necessarily his strength in college. He was okay by his second year. But, I mean, I think... I don't know that he's ever going to be a star. I think he still has a lot of upside. and maybe do Why think he, he- ever
1: be a star, but I think... If he can consistently stay in the league, I think that's a big deal and be a contributor. I think he, I think he's capable of that. I think he will. I think
0: he will stick around and be at least a backup versatile defender on a lot of teams for a lot of years just that, because he's so athletic. Well, that's the
1: Jacob Evans type mold, right? Six, 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 seven that 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 can guard a lot of different positions because of their length. I think those guys are important. They may not show up right away. We, we may not see Jacob Evans in the league for a couple years, but all of a sudden you're going to look at him and go, oh, yeah, Jacob Evans. I get it. Well, the same thing with, with Edmund.
0: And you're seeing the Warriors right now are trying to make Jacob Evans a point guard going forward. They, they've talked about that. And he's playing point guard in the summer league right now. That's not as natural for him. I know he played it in high school right. before he got to UC, but you can see he's not as natural of a point guard. Edmund can really right, handle the it's ball. What, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not as much of a creator at the NBA level who's going to manipulate ball screens and stuff. But in terms of handling it, he can do that. So, I mean, that adds a little bit something, too, that he can come in. And if you need an extra point guard on your roster, he might be able to do that as well. I really think it. people talked a lot about his decision to leave early because he really hadn't sort of established himself right. at that level yet. He was coming off a major injury. Um, and I think it's, it's really cool to see it work out the way it has for him to sort but, of stay the course and, and get
1: there. I think on the college basketball podcast, we did talk about when, when he made that decision that, Look, it is probably a good decision at the time because he's going to get paid to basically rehab and get himself back and and, and kind of focus on that. So I thought the decision wasn't a bad decision. The long-term effect, though, was he going to ever be good enough to play in the league? And it it seems like he's proving that yeah he can play well once you get that
0: legit contract it's the it worked out right i right. mean because you no now doubt. got enough money that you Correct. can sort of live your life Correct. going forward if you're really smart with it because this is this is life-changing money now with a three-year contract no doubt. so no doubt. um good for him not all the details have, have come out yet but uh It'll be interesting to watch him going And the thing is, for,
1: for Indiana, it's never a destination place for free agents, but they always seem to be able to build build solid rosters through young guys. Well, and the, the sort of the unfortunate thing for him,
0: while they're sort of waiting for Victor Oladipo to get back, he may have some playing time. But when Victor Oladipo does come back, it's a crowded roster in terms of its guards and wings. So it, it was kind of a situation where I think the Pacers felt they needed to sign him because he was going to look for a better opportunity for playing time if he didn't get a deal. And uh, it ended up working out for both of them. So... Sticking with NBA, Skinny, the free agency period started on Sunday night, and it didn't take any time for chaos to descend upon the league. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant decided to team up in Brooklyn with the Nets. Kemba Walker is now a Boston Celtic. D'Angelo Russell is with the Warriors. Jimmy Butler is headed to Miami. And those are just a few of the moves that have been made so far. We have a series of questions here, starting with, which NBA free agency storyline interests you the most? The Knicks implosion. I mean,
1: it really does. <laughs> we got it? there already. <laughs> it, it does,
0: doesn't it? I mean, because oh, my last question was, are the Knicks the sorriest franchise in oh, all sports? Oh, I didn't. Sports? Okay. So, um, yes, yeah, I, they, I was, have, to they have to be. You had their fans, and people believed this. Like, not even, not even just like crazy fans, but like They're coming to the garden. There were media members who were perpetuating this that Zion Williamson. Kyrie Irving, yeah, the, the, Kevin Suddenly Durant. the Knicks would
1: be relevant in 2019-20.
0: Yeah, all three of those guys in the same pictures, and uh, you got R.J. Barrett. You got nothing. Kevin Knox. <laughs> yeah, you got nothing. Yeah, you got no, you got Taj Gibson and Julius Randall, the Marcus Cousins.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, bad they're,
0: situation.
1: They're, they are a bad. It is a bad situation. I I guess the, the one that interests you most is what does Kawhi do? Does, does he does he really go to the Lakers or not?
0: Yeah, it seems like it's trending that way, um, and obviously at the time of the recording, this could come out in a few hours right. and completely right. blow this up. But um, that will be the interesting one. But I think the net situation with Durant and Kyrie both going out there. I mean, yes, I'm really excited to watch the Lakers and whatever LeBron and Anthony Davis and potentially even Kawhi are going to look like. But the Nets, I mean, they were a trending, they were trending upward. They were yes. like seventh in the East last year, but still not a serious, serious contender. All of a sudden, now you've got two of the biggest power power names in the NBA, and one of them isn't going to be really be ready for this year. Correct. So they have a little more time to build this, and I think both those guys had to go there with that in mind. That hey, we're going to try this for a few yes. years. And those are two of the weirdest human beings that we know of in the NBA. Yes, too. correct. So correct. I mean, that situation to me has got to be the most interesting. You know what, under the
1: radar one for me though is D'Angelo Russell going to the Warriors.
0: I think so, too. I think he's a really good player. I do, too, but the style is going to be really interesting yeah, because he's a ball-dominant, he play-off-ball-screens-and-drive-and-kick so. type of guy. Now, does that work because he's going to take some focus and, and free Steph and, and some of those other shooters up? Maybe. Or is it, well, no, the Warriors really need to play with ball movement right. and get that thing hot-potatoing around and can't have someone driving off ball screens constantly and, and playing with the ball in their hands? But he's
1: at least a legitimate score, and they, well, he's ne- they needed that.
0: Yeah, he'll take some pressure off of, of Steph, and really... I mean, they haven't had this type of piece next to Steph. Right. They've had the wing scorers and the big men to go with them, but we haven't seen like. Steph's been the point guard. Right. But we haven't seen like a break you down scorer to go with him. Like basically, D'Angelo Russell and Kyrie are similar in a lot of ways in my mind in terms of their strengths. It's kind of interesting that they're, you know, that Kyrie has taken a spot in Brooklyn. So I'm really interested to see how that looks as well. The only thing is, I mean, where do you think the Warriors stand now in terms of their competitiveness?
1: if the Lakers don't add that third superstar piece, I still think they're they're arguably the best team in the West. But let's just say they don't. Let's say Kawhi decides to go to the Clippers or whatever he decides to do. He doesn't decide to go to the Lakers. I just think the West is so competitive that it, it, it that the Warriors would still be in that mix. I really believe that.
0: I think especially after they get Clay back, and I don't yeah, know if well, he'll yeah, be yeah. back in time for this year if he's effective at all this year, but. With him and and you have D'Angelo Russell and Steph and obviously losing Iguodala hurts them too, correct? Um, but you've got Draymond still. That that I'm really interested to they see. resign Looney right? Yes, they did yeah. keep Kevin Looney, which is a big signing. Um, so do you think the Lakers are in best position to win the 2020 NBA championship next year specifically? I don't, unless they had that third piece. I don't. So who is it? Who's the best in best position now? I,
1: I don't. I think for once there's not a team you can point to. I, you know, Brooklyn, maybe you could have pointed to, but you don't know how much Durant's going to be able to play. You don't know when he's going to come back.
0: Yeah, I don't think Brooklyn's th- this M- year.
1: Milwaukee losing Brogdon, that doesn't help them at all. I still think they're really good.
0: Yeah, I think they're second in the Vegas odds Phil- now. Philly
1: is never going to ascend unless Ben Simmons gets better. And, and I say that because he's got to add more to his game than what he does.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like Philly's roster. Adding Josh Richardson is a really nice yep. piece and adds some shooting, at least, at the two but now you've got Tobias Harris, um, Al Horford, and Joe Embiid. They're all the same. You're playing a huge th- line, correct? That can't shoot. I mean, Horford a mid-range.
1: Horford can step out and shoot threes. a little. But, yeah. I mean,
0: and Josh Richardson adds some shooting too. But he's not a knockdown. Three. I mean, this is not a 2019 basketball roster. It is a 1998 basketball. Very much. Roster. Yeah, it is. A and I would love it club in 1998. Uh, but I just don't know if it
1: works. But that's the interest. That's what I think. The it's it's one of the more interesting years because. There isn't that super team or two out there. there there's good parts. I mean, I, I, you start you got to start looking with LeBron and go, "I right, dude's getting older." Right or wrong, I mean, at some point he's he's not going to hit the wall completely. He's not at that stage of his career. We're not talking about thirty year old LeBron any longer. Right. He needs another. I'm telling you, I think they need another piece.
0: Man, I, but th- I, we, even without them landing Kawhi yet, the the Vegas odds are they are the favorites. I know that, and I, I wouldn't.
1: I would. We talk about that though. The reason that is, is they know people are going to bet on the Lakers right. to do it.
0: Well, and it's gone up. The, the odds have gone, I guess, down right dramatically um, recently too. So, I, I, man, I I think I think the Lakers are the team in the best position just
1: because. I we, let me. Lakers are the field. The field. Okay.
0: But but who's in the best position out of any one team I, I think I can't, say, I
1: can't say I really can't say
0: do you think the Ra- the Raptors have a chance if they lose Kawhi? No, no, me neither. no, 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 they, no. no you, you
1: would have to get Kawhi back without yeah, without question. question. Even I don't then, think that's you I think you had a little bit of a perfect storm too. You yeah, had the perfect you, storm of the East the injuries, didn't have a super team, and the injuries of the Warriors helped. I mean, the healthy Warriors were the best team in the NBA last year, bar none. But I, I know you can't go back in retrospect. You whoever wins it wins it, and they deserve the title. All those things they were the best team, and it wasn't even close. You don't have that this year. I think it makes it more fun. I think you know, I've told you I'm not a huge NBA fan. Um, You know, the the free agency is probably more fun than anything else. Maybe it's just because the season's so long. But um, I think this makes it infinitely more interesting. I think it makes the playoffs infinitely more interesting. I think when you get a 2-7 matchup or a a 3-6 matchup in either conference... Got a chance to be really good matchups as opposed to, yeah, you might steal one at home and it's a 4-1 series and okay, let's move on to the next. It, it always felt like it was the Warriors and you could pick three teams in the East and one of those three came out. So I think it's just, it's way more interesting what's what's taking place.
0: No, I would agree. CNE, Golden State's co-chairman J- Joe Lacob released a statement thanking Kevin Durant and saying number 35 is off limits in his mind. Quote, as long as I am co-chairman of this team, no player will ever wear number 35 for the Warriors again. I simply ask you, should the Warriors
1: retire Kevin Durant's jersey? Hell no. Thank no. you. No. Thank you. That's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Look, the guy helped you win a title. That's great. He wasn't... He, retiring jerseys Is guy, are guys who have been iconic to your... To your franchise. You're iconic to the franchise. I
0: mean, come on. This is what you do when you're a sad franchise trying to attach yourself to greatness. When you got a guy at the end of his career and he used to be a Hall of Famer and now you want to say, well, we're going to retire his jersey too because we want to attach our names to that because we're sorry and we have nothing else going for us. The Warriors are greatness. They have Maybe the best dynasty we ever watched in the sport. You don't need to be chasing Kevin Durant in this situation, Kevin. Like, Kevin Durant I, I is what, a,
1: a blip on your... Yes, he was great. You know what's funny? Yes, he won MVPs. I, I think before all I was said and done, I'm not sure I, I don't retire Draymond Green's jersey before I retire Kevin Durant's jersey. I would, I
0: would agree totally with that. And that's not to say who's the better player or anything like no. that. But, but if we're talking about importance to the Warriors, and yes, I know what Kevin Durant meant the years he was there and how he was. If good he did he this was. for eight
1: to ten years, then
0: yes. If he did it for five years, yes. Okay. But we're not even we're not even there. We're talking a small blip
1: in time. I just I don't see. As it. essentially a mercenary. I, I hate to say it that way. Yes. That's what it was. No, it was exactly mer- what it was. He was a
0: mercenary searching for a title, and he wasn't Kawhi in in Toronto, where he was the piece that put you over the top. No they were question. already
1: the best Correct. team we had seen. Correct. It just made him better.
0: Yeah, I, I I think that's ridiculous that they would even consider it. I can't believe. I get them wanting to be classy and not get involved. The no, I thought that I thought been was,
1: doing. I'll tell you what was classy was was the Warriors buying a full page ad in the Toronto newspaper to say congratulations. That's classy. I like that.
0: That's classy. And and, and, and this is silly. And with Kevin Durant firing shots left and right at the Warriors and the the coaching and the, the players that were with him. I get not wanting to be petty like he is and taking the higher road. This is too much. Way, way too much. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Skinny. We, uh, we've we been slow recently with Uh-oh. our off-the-topic question. So someone sent one in. He said – this is our guy, Pat. He DM'd me this question. He says, Rick, since news is slow in the ghost sex world, I was wondering if you and Skinny might answer a question I've had for a while now listening to you guys. Considering your expertise in the area, why do you think it is that ghosts are able and willing to have sex with these people and follow them around as they travel and everything else you guys have covered? But they are unable or refuse to communicate with them. I don't want to sound like a skeptic, but it seems to me if they're capable of all these things, then they'd also be capable of communicating. And yet, none of these stories include any actual conversations with the ghost. Just wanted to see what a couple of capital J journalists in the ghost sex world thought about that. First of all, thank you for the respect. Yeah, I thank you because
1: I think it's a very it's a very good question he's posed. Um, I think it's very simple. Well, I, I would say this: other than dirty talk, is there a lot of there's a lot of talk going on when you're having sex? <laughs>
0: I don't want to get into that part of your life, to be honest. That's probably more detail than I need.
1: Well, but, but I mean, if you talk about communicating, are you really communicating much in that instance? Again, I think that varies from person to person. It does, okay.
0: I think this is it's very simple. It's like when you were a kid with your parents. Because those are the rules. Ghosts don't talk. They're like
1: mimes, but less scary. That's just how it is. I don't know. They talk in that Kit Kat commercial.
0: That doesn't count. Casper doesn't count either. Oh, Movies yeah, don't yeah. count.
1: Because he's a friendly ghost. I will
0: know. say this guy is right. Like These women that are marrying the ghost that they're sleeping with, they don't ever like, maybe yeah, we had
1: a conversation maybe about maybe it. Maybe they don't want to talk. Maybe they want to go to their separate rooms and watch watch TV and not talk. They can't. They're ghosts. That's the rules. That's like they just signed up for that. You don't be, here's the thing, though. You've now gone
0: into ghost rules. Yeah, we always go into ro- ghost, ghost rules. Remember? like Ghosts don't poop. They only fart. That's a ghost fact. That's true, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that part. We've dropped a lot of ghost facts on yeah. this, and I
0: think that's just another I, I one. That's a rule I, you don't talk if you're a ghost.
1: I think Pat's Pat's got a legit question though. I don't think it's that they can't
0: communicate. I think it's like mimes. They chose not to because they're ghosts. Simple enough. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think it's any Pat. Pat, mimes. do me
1: a favor and see if see if Rick's answer is is the one you were looking for.
0: <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it won't be
1: Okay Good stuff as always I, I like the question though Very good question
0: Yeah I mean it was logical On his part He it,
1: brings up a decent point
0: That does, these women are willing To marry all these ghosts Without even speaking and, to
1: and them And I go back to Maybe they just don't want To have conversations with them it sounds like the perfect relationship. It's a, it's a win for everybody. All right, we'll be back next week. It's All Star Week. We'll yay. have a yay. we'll talk about All Star games and the fact that they're just such a farce. That and much more. We'll be back one week from today for the proper edition of the Skinny Podcast. Thanks for being with us. For Rick Browning, I'm Richard Skinner. And as always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet.